Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as regularly you will get from us some uh, 20 minutes or more of uh, thoughts and insight on matters of the moment, and uh, particularly things that have caught our eye in the hotel and investment space from the last week or so. Uh, around the table of insight, you have Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, joining me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst. Uh, and here we are, and off we go. We're going to start this week by talking about um, some results, some quarterly results that came and trading updates that came from a couple of the operators in Europe, um, which all start to point to uh, an improving situation. Um, and they gave us perhaps a little bit more granular detail on some of the country markets um, around Europe. The particular results and comments we got were from Whitbread, who have, of course, got Premier in, uh, a leading brand in the UK in the budget sector, uh, and also growing fast in the German market. Uh, and we also had some comments from the Scandinavian operator Scandic, who, uh, as a company that leases all their hotels, has had a very tough pandemic, um, but is now starting to see growth in its uh, predominantly Scandinavian markets picking up. So where we are, it seems, is that uh, we've got uh, perhaps the UK ahead of Scandinavian markets that are again ahead of the German market uh, but they're all all the graphs look to be heading roughly upward with the similar sort of trajectory um, good news for uh, Scandic who are obviously still losing cash um, through their rent bill um, and they think that they'll turn into the black in the third quarter Whitbread feeling a bit more uh, chipper about things they've seen uh, the the leisure market pick up quicker than they expected in the uk and they've resumed investment in such things as upgrading some of their rooms in their properties uh, as well as uh, picking up one or two more additional properties to add to their uh, their german pipeline so finally it seems there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's not just another oncoming train yeah i i uh, I agree, Chris. Um, so I'm going to caveat that with something in a moment, but let, let's look at the good <laughs> news. Um, the, it's very clear that there has been no underlying impairment of the demand for hospitality as a result of of the pandemic people aren't terrified about going out of their houses they all want to come out of their houses and they want to go and embrace hospitality and enjoy hospitality so we, we can clearly see that we can also clearly see a big um surge in terms of the overall economy which as we all know hospitality is closely correlated to um, the uh, GDP growth um, and we know the expectations there are, are good I mean uh, just to throw in some quick figures uh, I mentioned uh, the Confederation of British Industry CBI saying growth is going to be 8.2 percent in the UK this year 6.1 percent next year um, unemployment's going to be significantly lower than they were expecting they were expecting unemployment at 7.3 percent um, uh, as recently as September uh, as December um, but now they're saying it's going to be five and a half percent so all of those big macro numbers are looking fantastic the micro position of the economy is fantastic the the, the great caveat unfortunately is government attitude and you know are they actually going to let us recover properly are they going to enable this industry to open fully um, because this 
what we've got going on in the UK in particular um, is just holding things back and is holding back profitability. So looking at the city analysts, and you mentioned um, Whitbread, the biggest Premier Inn's the biggest brand in the UK market. It's a bellwether for what's happening in the UK industry. Um, so overall, the the city analysts were saying, look, these are a good set of numbers. Um, even ahead of this um, quarterly update, Credit Suisse was saying, look, you know, the business travel within Premier Inn is at 92%. This was in April. I mean, it's phenomenal, isn't it? The hotels weren't even open for leisure travel. And yet business travel had got back up to 92%, which shows how Premier Inn in particular is skewed towards, I, I, I'd suggest, the sort of blue-collar piece, the white van piece um, of the market. Um, but clearly, you know, that bit of business travel certainly is coming back very strongly indeed, as is the, the, the leisure travel, including um, city centres. Um, London's slightly tricky still but but outside of London city centres yep it's great there is demand there and that's coming back the sort of more negative view came from analysts at Bernstein and they're concerned about weak pricing in the in in terms of room rates um, in the whip bread results they're worried well are we actually going to be able to drive rates to the extent that they need to be driven mm. um, to to for the you know to, to show this recovery now I, i've got a you know is this partly whitbread deliberately holding things back because they want to put pressure on their rivals whitbread are the strongest player in the market um they're going to benefit from um things Killing being off. tough for their rivals <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. but actually in you know the, the thing is we have to have demand coming back as anticipated um otherwise whitbread is going to face you know um resistance from its shareholders saying look we want you to hang on to the cash we don't want you to spend it being a consolidator we're too nervous about the market so actually overall we've got to see this all coming back um and well it, it remains to be seen well, it's still up in the air i mean the and uh, alison britain was quite clear she said you know they're 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 pushing for an occupancy led uh, recovery so they weren't really pushing prices but at the same same token she said they hadn't reset their algorithms to kind of uh, you know price super cheaply and uh, anecdotally I've heard through a relative of mine that if you want to try and get a, a premier in room in a uh, coastal Wales hotel on a summer weekend uh, the the website's currently asking you for 200 pounds a night so yeah um, yeah no it's absolutely well we, we've covered this i mean in terms of that domestic demand mm. bounce we've clearly got with the government's you know the the one thing the government's doing which is actually helping the domestic hotel industry is stopping people going overseas yeah. <laughs> so you know while that carries on and it looks like it's going to carry on for at least another month or so um that's going to boost the, the the uk domestic market market hugely so um so we're going to see a bit of that but uh yeah i mean how this you know w how it all plays out as we get into the autumn is going to be the critical piece um and uh, I, I remain optimistic but that we've got to have some sense from the government we're going to go into this in a bit more detail later on on this podcast i know mm. so i'll leave it there for now okay well now we're going to talk about the uh, online travel agents the otas and um uh, the disruptors in the space and a few things that are going on in that uh, niche uh, several aspects of which are kind of lending them or trying to lend them uh, a greater air of respectability um, as they kind of want to try and appear a bit more mainstream 
but at the same time at the same time there are still things appearing left right and center which uh, shine unwanted light on the dark underbelly of the less attractive aspects of uh, the the OTAs. So let's just run through some of these. Um, Airbnb and Verbo are working together to share information, which they're hoping is going to stamp out this problem of uh, party house rentals, where, oops, your whole neighbourhood suddenly gets uh, in, infiltrated by hundreds of, uh, of youngsters wanting to party. Um, they're going to share information so they basically you can't swap from one platform if you're banned on one then you can banned on the other um uh the next thing is that in india airbnb is teamed up with oyo and ease my trip and yatra they've created a new industry association which they're calling the chat the confederation of hospitality technology and tourism industry and they're aiming to drive up standards and improve uh, the situation there in in india as india comes out of the pandemic um now, Airbnb is also suggesting there should be more regulation. Uh, that this is something they've they've said in the UK. They're suggesting that perhaps there should be some kind of uh, central registration system for hosts, and you can't list your property on a platform unless you've got your registration number. Well, that's an interesting idea, but um, also interesting that actually the responsibility for doing it falls on on the regulators, not on Airbnb, uh, in terms of resourcing <coughs> that one. Um, now, uh, meantime, we've had some sort of uh, less positive news from the sector. Uh, Bloomberg did a big report where they uh, uh, looked into the uh, secretive world of uh, Airbnb keeping the lid on problematic rentals, uh, where they basically try and stop the, the bad news breaking out into the mainstream. Um, so the, the report pointed out this means we, we, as the general public, don't end up knowing how much uh, the volume of problematic rentals is um, but obviously that you know Airbnb is learning all the time from each and every of these these issues uh, there's also um, a couple more stories popped up recently about uh, issues around OTAs in Italy the Genoan police uh, are suggesting that uh, booking.com may have um, let some VAT slip through their fingers uh, that should have been paid to the authorities uh, and also today I was reading that um, the Madrid hoteliers are threatening a bit of legal action against uh, the same OTA because they reckon that uh, they're not happy with uh, the whole situation with commissions and got a bit miffed when uh, booking.com was refunding people without checking back with the hotels during the pandemic so um, friction remains yeah now I took a step back and looked at the longer term, but before I get into that, I just to share an anecdote mm -hmm. is about how this Airbnb algorithm is working. So we've booked, um, Clan Sangster has booked up for the Highlands in Scotland. We're, we're hiring this house with another family mm -hmm. um, in the middle of nowhere in the Highlands. I mean, it, it is, you know, tens of miles from the nearest other um, <laughs> So no complaining about um, the Wi-Fi then. <laughs> well, quite. Um, but this place uh, was actually delisted from um, Airbnb because the owner had put on it suitable for large parties. Um, I, <laughs> yes, I, I didn't think that, uh, I, she wasn't thinking. I think about the sort of parties that <laughs> you are. Airbnb's being pulled up yeah. for. Yeah, sort of parties like ours where there's uh, two families of five. Um, what was the kind of thing she meant? But anyway, that's uh, there's. A, should we say they, that needs a little bit more nuance in their algorithms and how they work I suspect but uh, um, and if you kind of have a party house I suggest one in the middle of nowhere in the Highlands 
is probably a good place for it so <laughs> unless you're anticipating the local otters or something or the local stags to to start moaning um <laughs> i think you're fine um but in terms of this stepping back and where what's going on here now i had um i pulled up some stuff that um one of my go-to people uh about you know digital uh and and you know what the future of digital is and how it's going to impact on on industry and the economy is professor scott galloway at uh, the new york university stern school of business and uh, his latest bit of crystal ball gazing um, sees him focusing on what he calls dispersion and he talks about how we've changed we've gone from globalization then to digitization and now his argument is we're moving into dispersion um what he well i'll quote him directly says we are entering the post distance era as tech has dispersed ever larger segments of the economy without regard for existing distribution channels so it's this this dispersion threatening existing distribution <clears throat> what i find quite interesting with him is he's a, he's a massive uh, bull on airbnb and listeners to this podcast will know we're not so mm -hmm. um, bullish about airbnb i mean fundamentally a decent business um but not going to be taking over the world and he kind of is more on the taking over the world sort of uh, outlook of it um and I, I would suggest that actually this dispersion element he has where the, this idea of the people who are creating the value so in media it's about content creators getting a bigger slice of the value um with hospitality it's about the providers of the hospitality getting a bigger slice of the value um, and it's the intermediaries who are going to come under pressure with this dispersion trend surely then it's people like airbnb it's your expedias it's your uh, bookings which are going to come under pressure with that and it's your um um, uh, direct operators which are going to do better now we've got a, such a fragmented industry in hospitality i think it's going to be global hotel brands who are going to be one of the beneficiaries of this trend to book direct as we as we call it this this dispersion to the to the the creators of the value if you like um and I think one of the things that we've seen is this we've seen this hype about how we're going to get vertical integration within the I mean we've been part of that hype I have to confess um, um, so we can see Airbnb branded properties and I, I thought oh, well that's interesting and I know we wrote about this a year or two ago we wrote about this development in in Miami where Airbnb was going to come in and and uh, um, brand the the condo hotel um, they haven't <laughs> so it's open opened up and it's just all that happened really there was a bit of consultancy with airbnb saying look if you want to develop a a, a scheme that is purpose-built and licensed for home sharing we'll help you do that that obviously helps airbnb and helps the developer so there's no airbnb branding on this scheme it's nativo with two eyes um in the middle um if i've pronounced it right I'm, who knows um um uh, um and it, it's not airbnb so i think this this slight overhyping of this and i think this you know but i do think as these intermediaries these uh otas come under very real pressure uh there is this you know where do they go what is it they have to do and i think they are faced with a bit of a fork in the road do we head do we keep with what we're doing 
um i think i would argue somebody like expedia seems to have decided we're going to keep with what we're doing and the way forward is to have closer relationships with uh, with the hotel operators and the brand companies hence its relationship say with marriott uh, where it's white labeling marriott vacations i think we're going to see more of that from expedia that seems to be the direction that's taking but it's where does airbnb go where does uh, booking go i think those are the two big giants here what do they do do they attempt actually to move in on the the territory of the the global brand majors and we've talked about this a lot and if it is going to happen i think it's going to be the next year or two when it will happen okay now we're going to turn our eyes towards the middle east uh where just in the last uh, few weeks we've seen several moves to consolidate uh and and combine companies in the hospitality space in uh, Abu Dhabi and uh, also in Saudi Arabia um, as the uh, the Emirates uh, look to what's been going on in Dubai and uh, the fact that uh, there are going to be less and less demands for oil and they do need to start accelerating their their economies uh, out of oil dependency or reducing their oil dependency and tourism does look to be a very attractive sector to get into so we've seen a situation where um, in Abu Dhabi one of the big investors there is looking to combine its uh, hotels business with its uh, exhibition and events business uh, and then uh, in Saudi Arabia something similar going on where uh, two listed companies there are looking to be combined to bring together kind of property development and uh, hotel investment and development and management um, so looking to scale up and get themselves uh, in, in a better position to take on some of these major projects that uh, the the uh, countries are looking to deliver have delivered um, to get to their kind of uh, their, their, their growth projections for tourism uh, that the Saudis for example have got their 2030 vision program with some aggressive targets to uh, get us all out into the dunes I think we, we spend a lot of time in the sector talking about the positive aspects of, of tourism, what it can do in terms of bringing cultures together, in terms of job creation. Um, and 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 you know building economies um and i think this more than any other region the the middle east is is where they've got abundant capital particularly the gulf um where they've got abundant capital um there's huge potential to de dem demonstrate what is positive um about our sector uh where i think the the, the challenges are, uh, are lie is is how um the the this money is going to be deployed to 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 drive drive tourism because i think you know the best will in the world the kingdom of saudi arabia has shall we say challenges in terms of its it, its international mm. perception i mean it's its attitude towards women its attitude towards gay people um its attitudes towards alcohol all of these things are, are not positive from attracting tourism but it's got you know it's got great nature it's opened uh uh seven um sort of national parks um royal parks um in the last few years um 
it, it, it's got great um, cultural heritage. It's opened up a whole bunch of new uh, cultural heritage sites in the last few years. So I think there is potential there, and it's certainly growing. You know, this is in on top of it, the huge potential it has for religious tourism, of course. Um, and you know, it, it is the Saudi Arabia has got the fastest growth rate of of, of the region. Um, I looked at some numbers from um, the United Nations World Tourism Organization and Saudi was number two in the Middle East with 17 and a half million visitors but the growth rate was 14 percent the UAE is bigger nearly 22 million visitors international visitors these are but it was barely growing at just just over one percent so you can see where the momentum is and it's not surprising to see the UNWTO open an office in Saudi um, to, to capture that. I mean one of the interesting asides from this is 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 the geography of it but um, the Middle East as a region for the UNWTO figures excludes Turkey and excludes Israel. Both Turkey and Israel are put into Europe for some reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure mm-hmm. what, why that is but, but I mean, the Eurovision the Song Contest is, is the difference <laughs> <laughs> yes yes australia could maybe go to the middle east i don't know no who knows um, maybe the uk could improve our weather um but uh turkey's the big one here where it's 51 million it's in well into the top 10 um you know, 50 million arrivals so turkey is is a big big thing there i think were it to be incorporated within within the overall middle east numbers so i think it would start looking a little bit significant um but when you look at say the that you know the size of europe as a whole seven, you know it's the biggest tourism international tourism market globally 746 million in 2019 all of these figures are obviously 2019 given the mm-hmm. shutdown for 2020 on tourism um um you know so it, it dwarfs anything it's 10 times the size of the middle east um and several you know eight times even if you take out turkey and stick it in the middle east um so it's still you know europe is still the dominant hit play here but i think the, you know the potential in terms of growth uh, i think it does sit with with i think with these the this region um and africa in the longer term perhaps um africa interestingly is about the same size in terms of international arrivals at the moment as uh, the middle east but uh, um you know in the next sort of two three four decades i think africa is going to be with its population growth and economic growth is going to be the the one to watch um but the, the gulf region here in particular with the capital that's being deployed is going to be very exciting i think if they can if they can contain any issues in terms of um uh, geopolitical problems um um i think i think it's, there's massive potential in 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 the gulf and in the broader the broader mm. middle east okay and now we're going to turn to our uh, regular five stars no star slot and i think we're awarding no stars once again this week to our uh, uh, elected representatives uh yeah no it's just bewildering why they are behaving like they're behaving um they are prioritizing i think the political considerations over the economic and i think they've got to to start rowing back on this and i think they are misjudging where the mood of the the public is now and it's increasingly shifting to let's just get open um you know i'd contrast italy 
um, decision um, to sort of get rid of face coverings upon the 28th of June with this ongoing nonsense that we, we're going to be maybe having face coverings into next year. I mean, fortunately, I think the government is stamping down on this kind of talk we're getting from the most extreme elements of the public health lobby. But it needs to be clearer on this, I think, and say, look, we now need to get back to normal. It's quite clear um, that you know we don't have a public health emergency anymore um you know we, we, we've got 10 times the number of people dying from pneumonia and flu than we have from covid in the uk um let's stop being so obsessed now with covid and and move on we have as far as we can fix the problem with vaccines it may be a challenge but you know we can't carry on running society on what might happen we now have to just get on with what what we have and how it is right now and how it is right now it's it's fine it's absolutely mm. fine to reopening to reopen uh, um, the uk prime minister boris johnson said clearly and emphatically it's irreversible this roadmap um let's get to the 19th of july and make it irreversible get rid of masks get rid of social distancing and get back to life as we i'll to tell know. you a quick little story about my stepson who's 19 and he's hacked together a, a gap year trip international trip so um and he's uh, he he went and did voluntary work in the seychelles traveling through africa to get there he's then spent some weeks in egypt and he's just recently traveled up to greece he's doing he's been able to do all this wow. by taking a plethora of tests along the way uh, but he's absolutely 100% fit and well has not really come across any issues along the way and his mother's perfectly comfortable with him uh, with him doing it um, so yeah you, you can still travel safely out there Boris <laughs> yeah yeah and I think it's reality on the ground now let's start looking at that rather than the the what ifs and maybes that we're being threatened with by all these people producing different models and different um ideas of 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 the dangers ahead um we we need to be less uh, risk averse dump that yep, precautionary stop, stop, principle. stop worrying about bears under the bed put the lights on and with that we'll say goodbye yep